Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Let me encourage you to please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 8. And we will begin reading that text in just a moment. But listen, I told you we would dry it up by this week, didn't I? I told you, watershed, no, no more rain, rain, go away. And here we are, but we are still in the middle of talking about the flood. Today we are in part 10 of our ongoing series in which we are studying the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And as you're turning in your Bibles here to chapter 8, I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us in the Family Life Center to turn as well in your Bibles or if you're at home and you're tuning in online to join in with us as we continue in this very, very rich study of the first 11 chapters chapters of Genesis, which we have said is unique Bible. It's different kind of Bible. It's not pretending to be science. It's not pretending to be history. It's intending uh, to do something in the heart of the reader, in the heart of those who hear these words and these stories and these images that rise off, off the, up off the page and attempted to say something into the context of our lived out experiences. We remember that these first 11 chapters, much of the material that comes out of these first 11 chapters, we refer to as coming out of the context of exile. Even though they begin early in the Bible, we kind of sometimes assume that this is the oldest stuff in the Bible when it's not. In fact, some of it came rather late. Many of it emerged from those living during the time of exile in the 6th century B.C. In a context of exile where there was nothing but chaos, the world had collapsed around them. And in the world of chaos that they were living out in their day-to-day life, here emerges stories of a God who looks out over the chaos And who with God's own spirit or wind or breath, the ruach of God, blows over the chaos. And in chapters 1 and 2, we see what happens as a result of God separating the waters of chaos. Life emerges. Beauty, grace, existence. But not just existence. Meaningful existence in which we said several weeks ago that the God who is Trinity, the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit... The God who enjoys this beautiful and mutual communion of love and service and and submission to one another, the Father, the Spirit, the Son, creates out of that character all the world, hoping that the world that God designs looks a little like God, behaves a little like God, is mutually submissive to one another, is serving one another, loving one another, creating life and sustaining life and paying attention to those who fall into the crevices of life. See, we're supposed to act like God. (laughs) That's what it means to be created in God's own image. But as you read chapter 1 and 2, and we studied already, 
Here comes chapter 3, like a wrecking ball. And chapter 3 comes in to describe what it is that you and I are prone to do when we're given the opportunity of beautiful community with one another. We live outside the boundary freedom and we reach for fruit that shouldn't be in our hands. And we spend the better part of chapter 4 and 5 and the first part of chapter 6 reading about a world that is spiraling, spiraling, spiraling out of control. And we read in those three chapters the decay and the debauchery, the rebellion of humankind until we reach the point in chapter 6 when we read that tragic line, the inclination of the hearts of every mortal were on evil continually. So God decides to undo creation. God then begins the act of uncreating the world and we enter into the flood narrative and this is the third out of four weeks in which we're studying the flood in which we typically have gone to the flood and interpreted the flood story as a story of the the destruction of the world but we have been observing these last few weeks that the flood story in our bible is not about the destruction of the world it's about rescue from a world of destruction and he reaches forth and offers Noah and his family an opportunity to be a part of repotting the Garden of Eden, of repotting the vision of creation itself, of, of taking the vision that God had for humankind and recreating it in a post-Diluvian world. And this is where we are right now. Last week we saw that this is a rescue story not a destruction story. And, Mo and Noah had been floating around for 150 days, we saw last week. And today, the ark has come to a stop. And the water has begun to recede. And we pick up the story in chapter 8, verse 6. At the end of 40 days, that's an additional 40 days, by the way, not the original 40 days, but we'll do math in just a minute. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot. And it returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, and he took it and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided on the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and saw that the face of the ground was drying. It in the second month of the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, 
Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out everything with you, with you, every living thing that was with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out with his sons and his wife and his sons were uh, and, and, and his sons and his wife and his sons' uh, wives and every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out of the ark by families. The reading of the sacred word, it's reliable and it can be trusted. Now let's pray to the Lord. God, even as we digest this, this massive passage of Scripture and consider the journey that we've been studying, will you help us consider our own journey? Lord, forbid it that we simply listen to these stories as if they are in and of themselves the point. But rather, show us, each one of us gathered in worship today, show us what it means to see ourselves in the text. Allow the waters to move us. Allow your spirit to move within us in such a way that we see something that changes everything. Lord, we've come into this place from a variety of places and, and with all kinds of burdens, so, so many different kinds of burdens that we, that we bear. But we pray that for just a little while, you may be able to speak to our spirit in such a way that we are liberated from whatever it is that, that binds us from you. Open our minds and our hearts as we open our ears now that your spirit may speak. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So as we move, continue to move through this story of Noah and his family and the flood, I want to give us a few anchoring points today, a few words, just three words to help us navigate this voyage as we are with Noah upon the waters of flood. Three words today. Calendar problems. Toing and froing and disembarkation. You see what I did there with the, okay. So, calendar problems, toing and froing, and disembarkation. First, calendar problems. So, the entire span of chapter six, seven, eight, and part of nine is about the, the, the flood narrative. The, from start to finish, the entire event, from the first raindrop until Noah comes out of the ark. It's, 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 it spans those chapters. But they have those passages within it. Uh, this entire narrative has within it its own internal calendar. Have you noticed as we've been reading along the way these many weeks, it'll say something like, and on the seventh month and the first day of the month, uh, on the, you know, like 7.30 at night after Jeopardy, the rain started falling, and it's very detailed, specific about where we are tracking in this, in this kind of internal calendar. And if you pay attention to the internal calendar, you recognize 
that start to finish the entire endeavor took a little over a year. I mean, I know that our songs typically lend themselves to the 40 days, 40 nights, the rain part, you know, where it rained 40 days and 40 nights. But even after it rained, the waters continued to swell and burst up from underground subterranean sources of water. And for 150 days, we're told, 150 days, Noah, I keep wanting to say Moses this morning. Are you noticing that? So Noah then is floating, as we're told, in Genesis 7, I believe, we're told Noah is there for 150 days on the water. The water swells for 150 days, but I want you to watch this curious, curious math. For 150 days, the water swells. But then, 74 days later, after the 40 days of rain, well, the tops of the, the, the mountains, after the 150 days, that is, after 150 days of the water swelling, 74 days later, the tops of the mountains emerge, bringing the total number of days for this entire event to 224. But then, 40 days after that, Noah opens the window of the ark, bringing the total number of days to 264. Then... Over a course of a 21-day period, which is the text that we just read a moment ago, over the course of a 21-day period, birds are sent out on recon. Birds are sent out on a reconnaissance mission, bringing the total number of days thus far to 285. But then, 29 days later, Noah removes the top of the ark, bringing the total to 314. And then... 56 days later, Noah comes out of the ark, making the total number of days for this entire event 370 days, or 371 if you include the first and the last day as a, as a whole day. And I want us to think about that for just a moment. 371 total days from start to finish. But of the 371 total days, waters swelled on the earth 150 of those 371 days. When waters began to recede on day 151 until the very end, the waters continued receding for 221 days. So in summary, total days of water swelling on the earth, 150. Total days of water receding, 221, which if you stop to meditate upon it for just a moment, you realize it took longer for the waters to recede than to endure the storm. It took longer for the waters to recede than to endure the storm. And that's how it always is. Every storm that you and I experience in life, if, if it's cataclysmic enough, if the storm is significant enough, it's intense, it's hardcore, you think it's never going to end. But the truth is, we spend more time living with, repairing, cleaning up the aftermath of the storm long after the rain has stopped falling. In the eye of a hurricane, there's quiet. For a moment. But then, but then you notice that we spend longer cleaning up the aftermath than actually enduring it. So the divorce 
is final. The papers came and the divorce is final. <laughs> but we still now have to navigate birthdays with the kids and Christmases and graduations and who is going to sit where at the rehearsal dinner. All right, can I get an amen? Right, come on. The rain has stopped. But man, this has taken a long time to clean up. What do you do when you look out the window of the ark that you've been floating in and you realize, okay, blue skies, but I can't walk on this water. What do you do when it takes too long? I just want to suggest this. Work hard at trusting God's timing. That doesn't sound very sophisticated, does it? Well, I'm telling you, it's far more difficult than it sounds to trust God's timing to God. One day is like a thousand years, the Bible says, and a thousand years is like one day in God's perspective. God may have a bigger perspective than, than we have. What would it look like? Because remember, we, we're in a story that we said is a rescue story. And God knows something about rain and knows something about the condition of the earth. The truth is, even though it's lasted this long, the, the ground was not ready and needed some healing. But so did the people inside the ark. I mean, it took 40 days and 40 nights for the rain to stop, but it took the better part of a year for Noah and his entire family to come to grips with what just happened. What, what if that's the point? That sometimes it takes longer than we want it to take because there's still some unfinished business, not outside the ark, inside the ark. Sometimes when we go through our storms and, and the sun comes out, it looks as if we should be just fine, but why do I feel so rotten? Why is it that I still struggle with the thing that happened? It fell apart. I lost the job. The thing, we, we broke up. We lost that. And, and, and the, the, it, it unfolded. It was cataclysmic. But it's all over. We should be able to just kind of suck it up and move on. But why do I feel so rotten? Maybe it's because on the inside of the ark, there is just as much repair to take place as the outside of the ark. If this whole story is about God attempting to recreate the world, well, keep in mind, Noah needed some time to let go of the attachments that he had to the world that used to be. You can't step foot on new creation without coming to grips with all the ways the broken one must be relinquished. I think about this also in the book of Exodus. Now, I don't want to say too much about Exodus because um, the week after Easter... We're starting a brand new series. Guess what it's called? Exodus. Exodus. You're good. You're good. A chapter-by-chapter chapter series in the book of Exodus, and I cannot wait. It's going to be so, so meaningful. But I, can I give you a little trailer, just a little, little sneak peek here? Do you know that the story of the Exodus is that the people of Israel were in bondage for so many years under Pharaoh in Egypt, but then Moses... Moses is called by God to liberate the people from bondage in Egypt. 
And then they spend the better part of 40 years wandering in the wilderness, right? But I want you to think on this today as Moses does have something to do with Noah, right? I want you to think on this. It took one night to get Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years of wilderness to get the Egypt out of Israel. Sometimes there's residue. Sometimes there's leftover pain. And sometimes it's all right to stay in the ark longer than you want. It's getting smelly in here, all these animals. But maybe, maybe I need some more time because the earth's not ready to step upon and I'm not ready to step out. Trust the timing of God. There was an old song once that I thought was, was spectacular. One of the verses goes like this. Sometimes he calms the storm with a whispered, peace, be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. Trust in God's timing. This is why Psalm 27 says it this way. I think it's 37. Yeah. 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is why in Ecclesiastes, we read these words of wisdom. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, I love that last phrase. He has set eternity in the human heart. In other words, go ahead and open up the window of the ark and look outside and be stressed out over the condition of this temporary world. But God is more interested in the eternity of the human heart. Stay inside if you need to, to work out eternal matters before stepping out on shaky ground, right? But perhaps the best verse of all, one maybe most well-known among us, it comes from the same time period that these passages arise. If Genesis 1 through 11, and especially Genesis 1, 2, 3, emerge out of exile, 6th century exile, guess what else is emerging at the same time over here in another region by other voices? The prophets. The prophets are speaking at the same time. And you know what one prophet happened to say to those who were waiting and waiting? And oh my gosh, how long are we going to be waiting for our deliverance? One prophet said, to the people these words but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall not run and shall not be weary they shall walk and not faint the the calendar problems that you and I have are not the calendar problems of God so we trust in God's timing mount up with wings like like eagles. Speaking of birds, it moves us to the second portion of our sermon. Toing and froing. I love that phrase, don't you? Toing and froing. We're told that he sent the birds out. The raven went toing and froing. He went to and fro among the earth. As it turns out, when the ark comes to a stop and the rain ceases and the waters begin to rescind or recede, Moses does what is common among ancient mariners. He sends out a, a bird for a reconnaissance. It's kind of an ancient radar. Are we near land? And then the bird would come back and he would inspect the feet. Does it have soil on it? Does he have anything in his mouth? Has he eaten? It tells the sailor, tells the mariner if they're near 
land and they can begin their preparation. We're told that Noah sent two birds, a raven and a dove. Interesting, the symbolic power of the raven and the dove. The raven is sent out and he has no place to land. We don't even know. He doesn't even come back. The raven's sent out. He never even comes back. In the Bible, the raven symbolizes evil. The raven is unclean, according to the ancient rituals. Unclean. It's a scavenger. It eats the flesh of dead things, which may explain why he never came back. There would be plenty floating, wouldn't there? But he also sent not just a raven, by the way, you know in the Bible when we hear to and fro, there's another place where we hear those words. It's in the first chapter of Job. And someone else is sent to and fro. And, and the Lord asks Hasatan, the Satan, where have you been? And he says, I've been roaming to and fro upon the earth. So the raven represents something, right? But then he also sends the dove. The dove, which is symbolic of something beautiful and pure and right and good and clean, is not an unclean animal, but a clean animal. It's always representative of the presence of the Spirit of God, right? And sends the dove on a kind of Trinitarian mission. Three times he is sent out. The first time he is sent out and there's no place to light, so he comes back. The second time he is sent out, he comes back again, but with an olive branch in his mouth which is, has endured as the symbolic, the symbol of, free, of uh, peace, right? The olive branch is always symbolic of, of peace, but I find it provocative. <laughs> he comes back because he has no place to go live, which means that the waters of chaos are still present, but he brings back an olive branch as if to insinuate that peace is always in progress in the midst of chaos. And then he sends the, the dove back out once more. This time, he never comes back, which presumably means that he has found land and it's, it's almost time to get out of this boat. But what does it all mean beyond simply giving Noah an opportunity to do recon and figure out, are we going to be close? Is land near? Is it dry enough to survive? But beyond the practical or pragmatic, I can't get away from the beauty of this symbol what? What's the, what's the ark got both in it for? I mean, if the, the raven represents evil and, and the, the unclean and everything that's not right, scavenging, living off the dead, why is it there? I find it provocative because the truth is, in the ark and in every human heart, there is both raven and dove. In the ark and in every human heart, there is both raven and dove. They represent that interior tension that every one of us has from the time we wake up in the morning until the time we go to bed at night. That tension between who will you live for today? That interior tension, the, the dove, which is your true self. The dove, which is emblematic or symbolic of, of the God self, the, the version of you that God had in mind when God thought you up. 
It's that part of you that doesn't pretend, it doesn't project some better image of yourself, it doesn't contend or compete or climb or compare yourself to anything else. The dove is that, that part of you that simply abides in the love of God because, good grief, that's just enough. That's dove. The raven in you, the raven in me, scavenges and will pick from the flesh of dead things any way to make myself look better and any way to provide for myself, any way for me to project some image of myself that is better or more secure. Uh, the, the raven in me protects myself. The, the raven in me is the one who is concerned about competing and climbing and contending and comparing myself to everyone else. There is both dove and raven in you and me at the same time and here is some sobering news you can't get rid of either one it's not like if you just try hard enough you can get rid of the raven in you it will wake up with you every morning at least it does with me it reminds me a little bit of a story about a cowboy who became a christian <laughs> and he he was he was struggling with this new life because to be a Christian means you let go some of the things from your former world, right? That world has been flooded. It's time to step into a new creation. The old world is destroyed. There's something new. Behold all things in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything new has come. Well, this cowboy was talking to his, his preacher one day about how things are going. And the preacher said, well, how are you doing? You've made this new commitment to give your life to Jesus. And how does it feel? And he says, well, it feels like I've got two teams of horses that are hitched to my heart. And one team is wanting to pull me that way. And one team is wanting to pull me that way. That's how it feels. And the reverend said, well, which one's winning? And the cowboy said, well, I suppose whichever one I get up in the morning and say giddy up to. <laughs> right? It's the, the tension is always there. And the Bible keeps on talking about it. It's not... It's not just um, ravens and doves. Do you know that if you, have, if you look for it, all through the Old and New Testament, there are these, what I'm going to call power dyads, little couplets, little dyads that describe the interior tension that you and I always have. For example, it's not just dove and raven. There's dove and wild beast. There's sheep and goat, light and dark, Jew and Gentile, clean, unclean, holy, profane, good tree, bad tree, salt water, fresh water, on and on and on. And all of those places where we read about those things, let me just give you a little spoiler alert. We think that it has to do with a little story that's happening right there, but they're all part of a big meta theme that goes into every human heart, and that is you have both in you. Who will win? You have both in you, dove and raven. And maybe the question is not, well, gosh, how do I get rid of my raven? You can't. It's there. Maybe the question is, which one will, let, will you let navigate your voyage? Which one will you open up the window and allow to be your reconnaissance? Which one will you listen to as your way of interpreting life? Because here's some clue for it. If you find yourself always defensive and negative and pessimistic, if you're always toing and froing among one friend to the next, if, if you're always going from one job to the next, your relationships are in fragments and you're, you're, you're toing and froing in this life, scavenging where you can, the idea may be that you're being guided by the raven in you. But do you know, you know what's interesting about the dove? 
the dove always knows its way home. There is something in you that knows home. Like a divine homing beacon. So what do you do? How do you decide how to let the dove or the raven guide you? Well, here's, I think, the the story teaches us. You throw open the window of the ark that you're in. And you release both. You release both. And you say to God, look, I recognize, God, that I, I am prone to wake up and follow the ways of the raven. I'm prone to scavenge and, 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 and fight tooth and nail for me and make sure that my image and my ego is protected. I'm sure that I'm going to do that today, so I release it. But I also know that in me is the possibility of knowing your heart. There is dove in me, and I release it. Help me to follow the cues of the dove. Help me to follow your voice above all voices. Yeah. I love what St. Augustine said about this. You know what St. Augustine said about this journey? He said, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. There is a dove in you, a true self in you, a desire in you that will remain restless until you find where your true resting place is, which is in the, in the company of, of the God who loves you, who is waiting for you to come home. Now, speaking of resting and coming home, the ark comes to a stop, right? It comes to a stop and it moves us to the third movement in our conversation, which is this. Yes, there are calendar problems, and in the midst of calendar problems comes anxiety. We've got to learn how to relinquish. We trust the timing of God. And yes, there is toing and froing. We're all prone to to and fro our way through life. But it leads us to the last, which is disembarkation. The passage continues this way. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and saw that the face of the ground was drying. In the second month, on the 22nd or 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, most powerful line in the whole story, go out of the ark. Go out of the ark. The ark is the only thing that has kept him alive. The ark was his rescue. The ark was his comfort, his security. The only thing keeping him alive, that one thing that he surrounded himself by. And don't get me wrong, God told him to do it. God instructed him, build this ark. So many cubits high, so many wide, put some stuff in it. It keeps it all together and floating and you're going to be fine. And he did. But now he's saying, It's time to get out of the ark. And why? Because God never intended our temporary ark to be our permanent home. God never intended your temporary ark, wherever it is that you find security and safety, wherever you find comfort, that's a good thing. And God may have even brought it to you because that's how God is. God is like a... A comforter who comes to secure you and, 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 and bring you peace. Yeah, 
But even if God, the one who instructs you to build this ark of safety, once you save, there will come a time when God will say, get out of the ark. Because your temporary ark was never intended to be your permanent home. Why would God do that? Well, A, because it's just time. Again, it's getting smelly inside the ark. It's time to get out. But second, because of this, God is always calling us outside of our arcs of safety because it requires to grow in our dependency upon God. And it requires faith. Do you know that disembarkation requires faith? To step outside of our comfort zones, it requires faith. To step out into new land where we've never walked before. I mean, we walked in the old world, but that world is gone. I'm in a new territory, and I don't know how to walk, don't know where this new territory will take me, but I'm being called to step out of the comfort that keeps me from it. I find what's even more fascinating as the scripture continues, there's a, uh, a, one line that I, that I think we've got to kind of kind of cling to today he says bring out with you every living thing that's with you all flesh birds animals every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply all oh, that phrase be fruitful and multiply do you remember where we first heard it is chapter one when in the original earth <laughs> the original design or vision that God had God had a plan that we might do life and have life and make Lots more of that life and enjoy that life and live into it, right? And here in the second version of creation itself, God is saying, now it's time to go and be fruitful and multiply. But you can't be fruitful and make life and do life and create life and share life and enjoy life if you stay in the ark. Go out of the ark. And it just makes me wonder, perhaps today, what are the arcs that we have constructed? Maybe even what are the arcs that God has told us to construct and we're living in them, but maybe we've lived in them a day too long. Is God calling you to some action? Is God calling you to reconcile some relationship? Is God calling you to cease some relationship? Is God calling you to start some some new thing, some ministry, some mission. Is God calling you to join this church? To bring your life to the life of this church and see what God does with it? Whatever it is, it requires getting out of the boat. So maybe this is our prayer today. Our prayer is, God, I recognize I have calendar problems. You don't. You don't. And I'm stressed about that, but I'm dealing with it. Help me to deal with the reality that you see the big calendar. You see, and I need to trust, and I, I somehow today need your help in trusting your timing because it's hard. And I recognize, God, that I will be prone to to and fro my way through life. I will be restless. I will be somehow scattered like, like the raven in me wanting to acquire and eat from that which is unclean and does not give life. Show me how to listen to the voice of your dove that is in me, your, your presence that is in me. And if you're calling me to step out, if you're calling me to step out of this boat, this ark of security and safety, then tell me where to step and I'll go. Because I would rather be with you 
wherever that journey takes me than to be safely locked up inside wood and pitch. Let's pray together. God, we do stop and pray those kind of prayers. And we mean them. We do. We, we recognize that you, you are sovereign in this world. You, you've got this. And we don't. But we recognize that you have called us to follow by faith so that when we are called to navigate the, the, the rains, the winds, the, the floods that rise, we, we know that you are calling us to navigate them by faith. And somebody here today, Lord, I pray you would speak to their heart that they may relinquish whatever it is that keeps them from faith. We pray that someone this day on this campus would discover the liberating power of trusting Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of their lives. May they experience the forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation of heart, mind, and community. We pray that you would move in somebody's life even right now as we commit ourselves to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.